0: back, back again. (laughs) Welcome, Fulcher, Fulcher rash. Fulcher, go, Motherfucklore, Season 2, Season 2, Woo! I'm Derek Roche. Did you miss me? Because I missed (laughs) y'all. I I missed y'all so much, my beloved listeners. Both of you.
1: we missed you as well. In fairness, it wasn't the same. We ran riot too. Um mm. so we're very glad to have you back at the reins, taking care of us.
0: Well, thanks very much. Welcome I, back, Dad. You know, podcast Dad leaves for a few weeks to, you know, um, do Dad stuff, and next thing you know, they're reading out pornography.
1: Yeah, we got a bit wild, and then they had to they had to cancel us for a while. But we're back, guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, now, now that the uh, the moral majority have, have have loosened their grip and Mother Glory is back on air after that scandalous episode, we are we're going to be talking about a lot of big topics. An awful lot has happened since I've been gone.
1: Yeah, um the I think the technical term for it is actually the, the shit hit the fan. Um and that's what's happened in the Irish language world. No, it hasn't. Irish language has been in the news, which is unusual for it. It's been in the English-speaking news, which is even more unusual. Um, there's been a lot of talk about fathers um, and that's been great that's been really fun I've uh, been really enjoying being on the receiving end of uh, people complaining about fathers which is great thanks guys please keep on sending me emails um, don't Um, yes, yeah, so it's been a really tumultuous time
0: you had your big debut writing for the journal while I was gosh
1: yeah I did and what they say is true don't read the comment section <laughs> <laughs> I did and it was lovely to get that opportunity and people were very nice Um, but also People need to chill out about fathers. Like maybe myself included, I did write like 800 words for the journal <laughs> about fathers, but because they asked me to and it was in the news. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, learn to boil an egg. Fathers aren't that difficult to do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that poor egg man.
1: Poor God love me. Poor. Never know the joy of a good googie egg in soldiers. Mm. huh?
0: <laughs> and also since we've gone, our dear colleague Padre O'Klivanig has stood for election. He will be back on the show, but um, we won't won't allow him to ply his political wares on this wonderful show.
1: He's been undermining all of us all along. He's been trying to sell his, get his name out there using the show. No, he hasn't. I'm very, very proud of him. We're very excited for him. Um, I'm hoping to go to Clondalkin to try and get a selfie with one of his posters for the laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Because I saw that he put up his posters recently. So we're all very excited for Pather and we wish him well.
0: So Patter is running for Dublin City Council in the Clondalkin borough, and you know what? Um, I don't know what the other candidates are like, but
1: but they're not on the show. So they're not on the show. So
0: they're not motherfucker standard.
1: Yeah, they they don't have the motherfucker stamp of approval. So um, I'm sure they're sound, but again, as I said, they're not on the show. So
0: not on the show. So it was not going on in twenty nineteen. It's been a mad year. Things are happening at a, a rapid pace, and even by the time this episode goes out, who knows how much things will have changed? One of the things is obviously Brexit continuing, because Brexit affects one of the one of the two political jurisdictions where our Irish is spoken. It's something we're constantly aware of, and. Um, earlier on this year, I did speak to Naomi O'Leary, who presents the wonderful Irish Passport podcast. We we're talking about what 2019 might hold in terms of how, how rapidly certain political events can change. In particular, we were looking at how the Eighth Amendment, how quickly it went from this is this isn't going to happen, there's no political will to make this change, and how within a year of that, we went to actually having the referendum passed by a substantial majority mm-hmm. and legislation being passed. And then we were thinking about another uh, elephant in the room politically, uh, and how that might how Brexit might bring that to the fore. So I'm just going to go to that clip now. Bearing in mind now this was recorded a few months ago, and how much this has changed since then. My special guest today is she's back to the studio after about a year or maybe a little more. It's Naomi O'Leary.
2: Hi everybody. Yeah, Naomi O'Leary here. Hey. Hi, you might know me from the Irish Passport podcast. If you don't, then check it out.
0: Irish Passport. I'm quite happy to plug it. It is a wonderful, um, it is a wonderful podcast all about high level looks into t- topics that affect Ireland.
2: Thank you very much, Sarah.
0: And we are going to look at one particular topic today. Um, near the end of the 2018, the legislations. Subsequent to the Eighth Amendment Referendum. What's the legislation? is the oh Regulation of the Termination of Pregnancies That's Bill. That's it, yeah. Nice the one. Regulation of the Termination of Pregnancies Bill passed. And it was marked online and offline that this happened within a year of the Taoiseach not actually wanting a referendum at all. And in that, within those 12 months, a lot happened. There was a Citizens Convention. There was referendum. There was, there was the post-referendum discussion on the legislation itself, various court challenges. And then it was yep. passed into law.
2: And the idea of there being um, access to abortion services, irrespective of the situation up to 12 weeks, that was considered an untouchable sort of an impossible view. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it's law. And that happened within the space of 365 days.
0: This is the thing that, that sometimes the world can change very quickly, even on issues that are seen as untouchable or immovable. And sometimes... Often this can happen. This this can be as they as um Shirley McLean used to say was it about to be after twelve years becoming an overnight success, mm-hmm. and that some some people say well it took a very long time to actually get to the point where things could happen quickly, mm-hmm. but sometimes yes. those factors might already be in place. And one other big untouchable factor that may or may not come into play um Brexit is possibly only a few months away, depending yep. on how things go over there. Yep. And one issue that it started with a whisper and has been to be getting louder and louder and people are actually talking more is could a United Ireland
2: actually happen? Yeah, exactly. Could a United Ireland actually happen? And it's been completely transformed, as you say, um, since it started. I was reporting up and around the border prior to the actual referendum, the Brexit referendum, and already at that point, the sort of the most bog standard vanilla view you know from any person on the street was that a united ireland would was would come back into play and was coming back into play um and that was prior to the vote ever happening um so um yeah it's been a long time coming although it has it has taken people a little bit of time to to notice that change beginning to happen Mm -hmm. yeah
0: and it's a lot. I mean, there's been, I suppose, in the in the past 10 or so years, there was, um, and particularly in the, in the 21st century, when people look back and we're getting close to being caught away into this particular century. It's mm-hmm. shocking to think. And people are actually beginning to look back and think, well, these those certain events shaped it. People think about Ireland and Britain and the, the United Kingdom and those parts of the world that speak English very differently than they did in the late 20th and early 21st century during the I suppose, the bush blair years, there was this the concept of the anglosphere being the 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 place where everything good in human civilization had come from was widely held by people who only speak english
2: thank god we moved on <laughs> from that
0: and Jeez. yes and now i think maybe that people don't i mean i think You'd like to think that less people accept that reflexively, or maybe people mm-hmm. who who thought that realized that maybe they were wrong. Mm-hmm. That there was the there was in America there was a huge after nine eleven there was a huge cult of Winston Churchill. People re- revisiting and idolizing this man who mm-hmm. uh, was, I mean, who was on the right side of World War Two, but maybe was not a perfect human being.
2: Yeah, very uh, checkered record altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the the power of the myth that was he had a very active role in, in writing. He wrote, you know, a, a lot uh, of his own biographies and he was, took a very active role in creating that myth about himself. Um, and it's a very powerful one because I've, um, I've spoken to people of that, that era who were alive hearing Winston Churchill's voice coming over the radio at a time when Britain stood alone and, um, you know, France had fallen and he gave defiant speeches. And that... That moment and him sort of stubbornly speaking for Britain, that that's something that has really endured. But we ha- he had as a completely checkered history, as, as you point out, and particularly in relation to the island of Ireland, yeah.
0: and and our friends in India as well.
2: True, yeah, shouldn't be overlooked.
0: And the, one of the things I think that people historians will look back at the early, at the first quarter of the twenty first century and say, why were they so into the royal family and so many films and TV shows about the royal family? How wonderful they are. And i was thinking that it's a bit like the trinity Shannon's um, um constituency in that the people know it's a bad idea but the fact that it keeps producing very good politicians <laughs> kind of makes people think well yes I'll, I'll allow it for now as long as you keep giving us david norris lynn and um, mary robinson <laughs> and so forth yeah but i think because people like queen elizabeth ii they think well maybe the monarchy is okay that may mm-hmm. not be the case
2: yeah very in... good point yeah with charles Yes. Um, Australia, for example, very ambivalent about, you know, kind of... Elizabeth gets a pass, but the sun... You know, he isn't as well liked. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's a big challenge. Also, he has a totally different approach to things. You know, he's a meddling one. He's meddles. He meddles yes. with his pet projects about whatever he, is on his mind, you know, to do with architecture or farming practices or like some of which he knows about, some of which he doesn't know about. But he does see it as the right of the sovereign to, to sort of meddle and be a, you know, someone who, who tries to influence.
0: It's been suggested that he withholds knighthoods from people who uh, get in his way.
2: Is that right? So
0: <laughs> it's been suggested, but this all comes to the idea that um, before Brexit, that that maybe, um, and we think a couple of years shortly before Brexit, the Queen of England visited mm-hmm. Ireland. Yeah, <laughs> it was this wonderful moment, and people. Were, she also
2: said, "This is my favorite quote. I like those clinky glasses." <laughs>
0: Did you hear it? <laughs> I did not, but that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And I think there was a moment when people felt that, you know, this was, that all that stuff was over and we're going to be, we're great pals now. And things mm-hmm. things were going very well. Um, and people felt that, you know, what could possibly wreck this wonderful practical friendship? What we, could
2: possibly happen?
0: And it all seemed, you know, um, it all seemed, you know, pretty good. People, It was one of those feel-good moments after the bailout and banking crash where people thought, you know what, maybe, you know, things aren't going to be so bad after all. Yeah, and with a few short years, then we are in this Brexit situation where suddenly, um, British politicians have made comments about Ireland that you know, I mean, that just seemed that alarming. They're not even, that like they're not even wrong. They're so off with the actual kind of level of detail.
2: Yeah, they're offensive, and they've taken back Anglo-Irish relations thirty years or more um, to the really bad times. You know, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it has. For all the moss you know, and the kind of um, the positivity of that apparent visit of, of Queen Elizabeth, it does seem that under the surface, there were these unresolved issues that uh, Brexit has sort of, you know, provoked to the surface, you know, and a lot of assumptions about Ireland, including, uh, you know, unfortunately, Britain has been found out in a lot of ways. Um, They've been found out for having a really weak uh, political class that doesn't know what it's doing and is completely irresponsible. So whatever system they have for, you know, getting the people in power in power is working badly hmm. for them. Um, But they've also been found out um, with their... S- Ignorance about Ireland, so that it just there's just a very prevalent sort of assumption that it is somehow within the ambit of the UK. Um, you know, somehow it's not quite a foreign country. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so that's just been demonstrated at path after path with with every kind of. Uh, question that Brexit brings up, whether it's to do with sort of customs, <laughs> like mm. where do you put the customs, yeah. or you know, um, or the assumption about what Ireland should do, like there was just it's very very widely assumed, um, until quite recently, and still among some people that Ireland would just you know leave the EU as well because because Britain had voted to do so.
0: This has been the the funny thing, and yeah. the this idea that you know, well, of course Ireland should, and this there's been. There's been a real kind of stop trying to make IREXit happen that this every now and then people who maybe anyone who's worked in radio knows sometimes a guest cancels and you need to whip up a debate at nothing at the last minute. (laughs) And this whole idea of Ireland leaving the European Union has just, I mean, there's no appetite for it, but you do seem to get sometimes in British articles about Ireland, this this kind of final kind of paragraph, oh, and the word in everyone's lips is an Irish Brexit or an IREXIT. I I think
2: they've stopped doing that now. Mm. They were doing that for a little while because there's this retired diplomat guy who's like mister Irexit who, you know, shopped his opinions around. Mm. But part of the reason for that is just because there's a market for it. So in in the UK, there are uh, pro-Brexit think tanks and pro-Brexit money that will pay people for those kind of views and yeah. air them and publicize them and, and so on. So you can, you know, there are, there are jobs in it, basically. There's a career that can be pursued. Whereas someone saying there's no public support, there's vanishingly small public support for leaving the EU in Ireland, um, that doesn't necessarily get the same rewards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even though it's true.
3: All right, people, welcome to the Pints of Malt podcast. It's just a podcast brought to you by four black Irish lads, where we share our stories and experiences with you.
2: I was the only black guy in the class. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was the only other foreign guy. Yeah, yeah. So
0: it was obviously like, they're looking at us like the two toughest guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The first thing of my secondary school was how much they remixed this guy's name. Oh boy, they—they've <laughs> <laughs> made it. Ah, yeah, from Bola. My name is Bola, yeah, right? Bola, right. Okay.
2: They've made a bowl of ham. <laughs> <laughs> they made it.
3: Well, they made Bobblehan. I think there was bubbles. All right,
1: Bobblehan. Like what? No
3: bubbles. Ham. Because man's just talking all this talk. Can you Yo, swim? Listen, man can swim. What man's missing mean? his nebula bone as well, bro. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> do you
1: know do you know when you when your teachers say oh call you by your first name? Yeah,
3: yeah. I can't. It's in our veins. I'm sorry, man. I, can't. I had
0: like three years of just on top. No one challenged me. Every party, everyone knew Femi's gonna do a we low local like that should be. As Femi said with the Pints of Molt podcast, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Music and Spotify to stay updated on our latest episodes.
3: Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs>
0: The context of Brexit is effectively is the very thing. The fact that, United you know, Ireland has been talked about. The idea is, and mm-hmm. like this comes down to people who would typically have been very happy with their, but in, in Northern Ireland who are very happy with their British identity and very happy to be part of the United Kingdom economy, and very happy with the I guess the with the with the package of taxes and versus benefits, mm-hmm. and so forth that they get for for, for being a, a part of the United Kingdom while living on the island of Ireland that they are questioning this in the context of the uncertainties around Brexit and they're looking at they're comparing that to the possibilities of being with in staying in the European Union in a democracy
2: well um the key constituency, I think, that we need to talk about is the people who are in the middle.
3: Yes,
2: um, which is a, a growing group in Northern Ireland, according to the survey data that we have. So, people who do n- do not either strongly identify as kind of Irish identifying nationalist or British identifying unionist. There's a whole group of people who are sort of neithers, um, and according to the survey data that we have, this is the key swing group that is affected on the question of New United Ireland, depending on how Brexit works out. Yes. Um, and also, the other thing that's happened, the other trend, is that a kind of a dormant Irish nationalism in, in Northern Ireland, which had sort of accepted the, the status quo, that has been reactivated by the threats that are posed by Brexit to that community, which are very real and very serious and mm. recklessly, thoughtlessly done.
0: We are, now in 2019, we are 20... Twenty-two years after Good Friday Agreement, so there are we have a generation of voters who have no memory of the troubles. Mm-hmm. Um, when so it was suggested that the the Irish for a selfie was feinfic, and someone said no, we should say feinine. It's consistent with the word selfie. And one of the one of the challenges to the view of using feinine instead was that feinine was a young Sinn Fein voter. Right. Yeah who had no memory of the Troubles. Right. And there's been a lot of alarmed comment on how if you had gone back in time and you had told someone in 1997 that Gerry Adams in 2019 would be seen as this cuddly, avuncular granddad <laughs> figure and Tony Blair would be seen as a war criminal among young people, that people wow. would, would be stunned and horrified.
3: Yeah,
2: you're you're right. You're absolutely right. Like, when Tony Blair appears in public, you can't be sure if someone trying to not to make a, a citizen's arrest on him, you know, it just happened in, <laughs> in various restaurants where waiters have accosted mm. him and so on. Uh, whereas Jerry Adams does a walkabout and he's fucking mobbed. But like, I've seen mm. it with my own eyes walking around on um, on Henry Street you know, and people kind of flock around him. He's a big celeb. And I, part of the reason mm. why um, that's a thing, I think it's, so, it's, it's something to do with the humour of the internet, where he's become a sort of an icon mm-hmm. and, and like a kind of an absurd icon at the same yeah. time, you know, with his, his he's got memes, like yeah. rubber ducks, for example. <laughs> people send him hundreds of rubber ducks because they know that he likes them. Now he's come out with this cookbook and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, he works somehow in the, mm. in the kind of the Twitter environment with that and- kind of humour. Yeah, and yeah. it's
0: it's it's a it's a strange I suppose it's a strange thing and that that I suppose I as, as someone who grew up when I did and who's who was um, one of my very first votes was on the Good Friday Agreement. Wow, it was it was um my first vote was actually in a bail referendum, but which no one remembers now. But I do remember at the time people were saying that if it passes, it was going to be a police state, and, oh, really? and here we are. Yeah. But I do remember that the um the reconciliation between these islands was one of the most was the most important thing. And when I see people kind of eighteen year olds kind of um, tweeting Brits out, kind of it's people are have a, a candor. about Republican views, which mm. they because maybe they feel enough time has passed. This isn't that this isn't necessarily an endorsement of any actual violent activity. That it's just a statement of um I, like I it would it would be very unusual to see someone my age say Brits out.
2: Dark is interesting as they say they it, they it never really went away. Yeah. Um because I can remember uh, going to my first discos when I was about fourteen. Yeah, and this would have been like, in the early 2000s. It's the Grove, yeah. Where's the West? west. <laughs> Going to Wesley. <laughs> nice and this thing. is, like, you know, the heart of, like, South Dublin, like, people growing up in the lap of privilege. Not everybody, but, you know, yeah, so. fair, fair contingent. Um And, uh, yeah, people, th- it was a a kind of a landmark of the night that every night the Fields of Atman Rye would be sung, including the controversial shout-outs that happened between... Verses in not
0: just the free birds fly with the other outs. Indeed, yes. the other
2: one. Um, if you're not aware of it, it's uh, you shout IRA at one point. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. our
0: love was on the wing. Shin
2: Féin. Yeah, yeah, that's how it goes IRA. exactly. And then and the next one is IRA.
0: Up dreams, yeah. and songs to sing IRA. And
2: so, like the 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 disco would be fucking in full voice like at this point so Mm -hmm. um, like I was kind of at the time this was just something that happened and I experienced without much critical thought about it but later on i was thinking what was that about you yeah. know what are all these sort of south dublin kids doing kind of having this experience like on a mm-hmm. friday night you know
0: it's it, it was a it's a, it's a strange thing that as yeah. you say there has always been lurking there and yeah. like like a lot of things that have been the, the turmoil in the world since 2016 has probably led some of the, some people to feel that they don't need to um sugarcoat some of these um these views they've always held anymore and yeah. it's happening on both on all sides yeah. which is alarming. And this takes us now to obviously the fact that there are some people in Northern Ireland who maybe don't think about politics that much. They like maybe playing tennis at the weekends. As they, for
2: good, se- for God's sake, they have a right to. Absolutely. You know? And you know,
0: You'd like to think in a well-run country, people don't think about politics That's that much.
2: That's the key, yeah, that yeah. It's actually ideally it, it should just work silently in the background, like your boiler.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the, the idea that your friend, who's very interested in politics, is just you know is a kind of a, a tolerable nerd who is who has <laughs> other who has other nice qualities. Yeah. And the idea, yes, yeah, so maybe you think yes, you're a, you're a teacher, an accountant. You like to play tennis. You want to go to holidays on your holidays to Spain, and yeah. you want to you you just want to propose to your girlfriend or boyfriend and you make these plans. And, and, the, then, and the
2: single most of uh, like important fact about you isn't your ethno-cultural affiliation. Yes, you and, know, and, yeah.
0: and for some of those people, they thought they've been enjoying being able to do these things in the context yeah. of being British and European. Mm-hmm. And now they're wondering, well, what's going to happen next? And mm-hmm. not everybody has, is coming from a place as comfortable as that. And there are some people who feel that they come from a neighborhood where they can never get a job or maybe that they use a different address on job applications or that they feel that the the school they went to and then they wonder whose fault is it that I don't have opportunities? And do you think, well, it's the government's fault? Mm-hmm. Is it my fault? Is it another community's fault who are getting slightly more favorable treatment? And those, I guess, mind frames exist in every country mm-hmm. in the world and the, the, the idea that Northern Irish people are unusual for being exposed to these Attitudes of that nature
3: mm-hmm. is
0: ridiculous. The fact is that maybe it, there's the history of Northern Ireland has made them more extreme, but there, there are like deep, deep feelings that have have haven't just come up overnight in Northern Ireland mm-hmm. that have been there for a long, very long time. And some of these, their feelings, there's, mis, uh, there's mistrust towards other groups. There's there's other class class issues and economic issues. Anyway, the same economic issues you have in rural Ireland and rural Britain, in terms of like factories, jobs being closed, zero hour contracts, all those things. Sometimes you can blame them on your boss. Sometimes you blame them on the government. Sometimes you blame them on another community who you feel are getting slightly favorable treatment, or more favorable treatment than yours are. And in this context, people think, well, our it is. It. It's never really going to be just an economic decision to stay in within Brexit Britain or to join United Ireland.
2: Quite right. Yeah, it's not. It. Um. And that. That was one of the mistakes of actually the bref- Brexit referendum itself was. Mm. Um. It assumed that this was only an economic argument. At least the Remain side did. Mm. So they em- emphasised, overemphasised the the damage that would be done. It you know to your wallet. And it's just, you know, that isn't the only thing that matters to people's lives. That's a strange um, that's a strange conception that doesn't take full account for human nature and the things that are important to us. Um, and it's the same is true in Northern Ireland now. It's very important. The what chi- what future can I guarantee my children is an yeah. absolutely key question, but it isn't the only question either.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, particularly when you consider the Scottish independence referendum and, and how how that was near, how that how close that came to passing, and mm-hmm. one of the things that kept their the main side in that one of the reasons they won, and and one of the reasons, first of all, that leaving did so well, and it's, it's weird to think that people said, "Oh, we can still have the Queen as the head of state of of free Scotland," mm-hmm. and that was, it was weird that some people felt, "Oh, that was the only thing that was stopping me." <laughs> And
2: (laughs) that was a fascinating whole thing. I I, I reported on that from Glasgow, which actually voted to leave the UK. If you can believe that now, it's a kind of a fight about which is the third largest city of the UK. But some people think it's Glasgow. And the the fact that it would vote to actually leave the UK is really stunning. You know, Um, and yeah, like like you say, the sort of like key issues in some ways were sort of arbitrary. Like, what about the pound? You know, people sort of just found the pound reliable. Yeah. Not so much sense, I might say, but yeah.
0: <laughs> You're telling me. God, but it's, it's and then the weird thing, and then people said, "What about Scottish soldiers who sworn on who sworn they swore <laughs> they to defend the United Kingdom?" Like, like it, it's going to be heartbreaking for them. I thought, you know, the poor Scottish soldiers, you know, who swore to defend the United Kingdom, and you know, yeah. they're going to be like, will they be Scottish soldiers for Scotland now?
2: I had one of the things some of my English friends were saying to me was like, "I believe in self determination, right? Yeah. I believe in democracy." They would say. But yet at the same time, if Scotland leaves the UK, then we're just going to be condemned to a conservative government forever and Labour will never get into power because they'll miss all of those Scottish votes. Yeah. I'm like, that is your affair. Like, you know, if that's uh, like... If you think there aren't enough Labour voters in England, then you need to go out and sort of campaign for them. You know, like mm-hmm. it's you can't kind of keep a like a hostage population just to kind of shore up the number of Labour MPs in the Parliament. It's, like that's yeah. nuts.
0: It's the strangest thing, particularly when you see that. I mean, they 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 know they know the first past the post system is nuts. Yeah. They like they know that John Major got a bigger vote, a Conservative vote, than Thatcher ever got, but he lost seats. Because he was getting these North Korean majorities in the home counties, <laughs> and, you know, and the, he, he was very popular with the warm beer Tories. But then, yeah, I mean, the, and the idea is, oh well, you know, if um, if Scotland leaves, we, we'll be stuck with this very, very imperfect democratic system that we can't change for some reason because it's yeah, it, it's yeah. it's it's an alarming thought. But yeah, I suppose this gets back and we, and the Scottish referendum. One of the things that did come up in the actual debate when when I was getting to the wire was what will happen the day after. What will mm-hmm. happen the week after? Mm-hmm. What will what, the transition be like? Yeah. And and this got me thinking because we, when we're talking, there's a lot of talk at the moment about the transition arrangements for Brexit, for mm-hmm. how customs are going to work, how yep. how insulin, how medical supply is going to work, mm-hmm. um, what's going to happen with certain European regulations. will. Yep will people still be able to see european food safety regulations on food if the if the if they aren't also the british regulations can people still insist and there's lots of things people just did not think about a while mm-hmm. ago and this is say and let us say as we know his, as as the eighth referendum has shown us history yep. can move very quickly if yep. there's going to be night around in 2020.
2: this is the key thing it's uh it hasn't been thought about and that it it has a lot in common with Brexit in that sense because a United Ireland sounds like a simple idea, but it's actually very complicated. There's a a lot of questions like, okay, so for example, uh, does Stormont persist as like a kind of regional parliament? There's an argument for that in that if there were to be a United Ireland, you would have a new minority uh, which would be, you know, the, the, the unionist pe- people who have a different nationality and perhaps culture and might need special protection because they would be massively outnumbered, you yeah. know, in a United Ireland. So then perhaps they might need some sort of political voice or representation to to kind of uh, account for that uh, and to make sure that the, the mistakes of the past, frankly, are not made again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's there's questions like that, but like, you know, the questions are enormous. So, um, one of the other things that's being talked about at the moment, one of the signs of change is that people are actually looking into these things. Yeah. And there's been more sort of economists looking into the question and saying, hmm, how could this work out than there has been before? Basically, we just didn't have this info. But there's been a series of economists who have looked into this. And what you can conclude is basically it all depends on the type of United Ireland. Just, just as a, Depends on the type of Brexit that you get. The economic outcome depends. So it depends on questions like, for example, all those public sector workers in Northern Ireland who've been paying into their pension for all those years. You know, yeah. Uh, do they do they get paid that pension pot from, you know, like the the Treasury, the UK Treasury, yeah? Or does Dublin have to take over those liabilities? like what what kind of liabilities continue um and and which which are which are left behind and the the outcome of all those unresolved questions decides the, how, how economically sort of easy or difficult it is. Um this, yeah.
0: this is one of the things. We know that there's thousands of people in Ireland who declare their taxes in Ireland, who declare a, a a British state pension or a British public sector pension. People retire, they move here. We already have thousands of people living in the public. And like if someone has been working in the in for the the British civil service all their lives or, or for a local authority all their lives, why wouldn't and and they decided to move to Donegal the day after Brexit, they'd still be getting a Brit- this British pension. Why not just have that that way? And we were told for years that the, the, the idea that um, that Northern Ireland was just a huge expense on the British taxpayer and that if unification would cost the Republic um, a huge amount, but the next thing is the chunk of tax that goes towards the military... Is one of the other things. And then, yeah. But you've said that you, there's different people who have different opinions on what this actually might well, be. It,
2: it just it just depends on the circumstances mm-hmm. of the uh, of the kind of deal with Britain, just like yeah. just like Brexit. So it depends on the atmosphere of cooperation and collaboration and uh, whether it's all agreed happily and that kind of thing. The outcome of the negotiations Um Frankly, uh, the issue of United Ireland has gotten attention in the EU in the way that it hasn't really done before, partly because of the Kenny clause, the thing that Enda Kenny got into the um, the very early stages of the Brexit negotiation, which was, is there, if there ever is a United Ireland, it's automatically e- in the EU. It doesn't need to apply for membership, which is yeah. very key. Um, so, but f- because of that and other reasons and Brexit in general, people are talking about this in the rest of the EU and in Brussels in a way that they weren't before and they're kind of aware of it. and. As newcomers, perhaps, to this whole situation, the the idea of a small island having sort of one political jurisdiction rather than two and having two of every system mm. has a certain logic to those newcomers. So you will hear it often from French people or German people or yeah. Dutch people, th- those who I speak to, like, wouldn't the United Ireland fix this whole Brexit situation? Wouldn't that take away a lot of complications? So... I think given that sort of attitude in that context and the frankly how small uh, Northern Ireland is and Ireland in general uh, in the in the European context I think we could probably count on European support and help uh, for stuff like you know uh, peace building projects that kind of thing so there's a bit of a money tap from London that has been going on it's very important to remember the EU money tap that there is as well mm. um but just just to run through some of the figures so that people are aware of how things stand and in terms yes. of public opinion, will okay. I will I kind of lay it out?
0: Yeah, drop it. To, drop it on me.
2: I'll drop it. Okay, so like in terms of uh, the the Republic side of things, uh, it's just this sort of uh, canard that everybody accepts is that Northern Ireland is massively expensive, right? But that might not necessarily even be an obstacle, even if it were to work out that way, because uh, according to a, a survey last year. United Ireland still has sixty percent support in the Republic, even if it costs nine billion euro a year, which mm. is incredible. Um,
0: okay. Yeah. A, and nine billion being, I guess, the figure was 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 arrived at in the context of um,
2: a previous study, which yeah. I can't remember exactly. Mm. Um, just to illustrate how Brexit affects this debate, and if if the cur- if the deal that Theresa May managed to negotiate with the EU was passed you get a 30% support for United Ireland that's rock solid and an 18% maybe. So it has a very slight majority. If, um, or it's pretty much 50-50 actually, to be more fair, it's pretty much 50-50 between uh, remaining in the UK and United Ireland. If there's no Brexit at all, it's just no question there's a, there's a, like a large majority support for staying in the UK in that circumstance. If there's a no deal, totally changed. There is a decisive United Ireland majority um, and it's, it's a solid block of, of, of about 48% in favor compared to a good 10 points below that for the UK. Mm. So it's really decisive depending on how Brexit actually turns out. Um, but like we say, there's this massive like issues that need to be dealt with, like fears of the unionist Community, which are quite legitimate, like things like, would if, if if United Ireland happened, would there suddenly be all this prosecution of issues from the Troubles? They're very worried about that, that there would be mm-hmm. some kind of uh, retribution that would happen. Yeah, and also, would their identity continue to to exist? Could it be sort of squashed out by this huge new sort of Irish identity identifying majority? Would that would they be protected in that way? I can
0: imagine how upset everyone will be if we were all told we we're going to get a bank holiday the twelfth.
2: imagine how sad
0: people would be if we had an extra bank holiday
2: well (laughs) that's a good one yeah more bank holidays bank holidays for all yay Uh, but yeah no there are contentious issues like another one is the use of Irish for example at the Mm -hmm. moment here Irish has special status and for some jobs you have to have Irish now that becomes very difficult to to sustain if you suddenly absorb a huge mass of British citizens who haven't had the opportunity to learn Irish and don't have it as part of their sort of cultural background Yeah, you can't discriminate against them so then, the things like the status of Irish in certain contexts and the requirement to have it, that needs to be reconsidered. And l- some of these issues are very contentious. It's, it's not; it's, they're not going to be easily resolved. What happens to the flag? Do we keep the same flag, or do we try to include, you know, our new uh, citizens in in another in a new flag of some kind? And that people have very passionate opinions on that. Yes. Because, you know, the tricolour is associated just with the IRA by many people in the North, so.
0: Yes, in spite of what the three, in spite of what the three colours specifically mean.
2: Sadly and ironically, mm. even though it means the green and the orange and peace between them, that Mm. that is actually the current association that people have, some people. Yeah. Um, But um, there, just to kind of explain why, why people's views change so dramatically depending on the kind of Brexit is because there are huge things at stake for the people of Northern Ireland in Brexit. Yeah. Apart from the huge economic fallout, which we know about already, it's already a small territory and both of its main, like, you know, its its immediate markets that are around it are at risk in in in, in case of whatever happens, Brexit, you know, if Brexit happens, you know, there is disruption to either Britain or, or, or cross-border trade. So that's a huge issue. And then um, there's... The things for all the Irish citizens that live in Northern Ireland that they currently have, that they might not have in the future, it's just un- its just unknown. These yeah. things like the ability to go to any university in the EU and pay EU local fees, for example, not decided. Uh, whether you can still do Erasmus, whether you have the European Health Insurance Card, whether you have recourse to the European Court of Justice. Uh, these things are not... Unimportant. These are absolutely crucial. Because if you remember the outbreak of the troubles in Derry, um, in the late sixties, part of the key reasons that w- that that brought the civil rights movement, um, it kind of into fruition was over the future of children. It was the the lack of access to opportunity and education that actually brought people out on the streets, the sort of you know, the teachers were, were absolutely key to that, to the development of and that. The
0: fact that the university was put to color instead of Derry itself.
2: Exactly. Mm. Yeah, that very unjust decision.
0: And speaking of, of Darien, you and I were looking at a map of Ireland before we started recording. Yeah, we did. And yeah. one of the things you notice is and people can talk about, say, there's the problems of there's problems with rural Ireland, the problem mm-hmm. this problem with Dublin, as we all know, with housing costs and other and homelessness and other sorts of social problems. Yeah. There is a situation where if you ignore the border for a moment, you just look at the island and you look at the northwest corner from Derry down to Athlone towards Galway, yeah. And this kind of chunk this is a chunk of Ireland that has two airports, two universities, several kind of significant companies, um, some decent sized towns and housing for under a 100 grand uh, decent housing for under 100 grand. If 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 these this area is controlled by a single, I guess, political mind, or that some of these or some of these bodies were. Were organised for the benefit of their area. That you could solve a lot of our national problems with just the actual the amount of um, resources that already exist in this place that just are haven't been haven't been run by people who are concerned with local area.
2: You're quite right. There is a level of disruption, which the very fact of the border creates and those two political jurisdictions creates, which means all along the border areas on both sides is sort of rendered peripheral and suffers from economic decline and lack of investment and that kind of thing. And you're right, if considered as a Northwest zone, uh, this is the most deprived part of Ireland, if we look at it economically in terms of people's incomes and that kind of thing. it, could, it has so much potential hmm. and with the right kind of investment and the right put together plan which isn't based on uh, you know, con, on, on partition basically, yeah. then there is enormous potential for that for that corner of the island. You're quite right.
0: I think we'll leave it there. We'll definitely be visiting this topic again because it is exciting and it's interesting and it is something that um, people have strong views on.
2: And the world can change in the blink of an eye.
0: Now, Mary, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank
2: you so much, Dar.
1: That was actually really interesting to hear uh, from Naomi's perspective, but also to hear it from, I mean, things have moved on since then. I mean, we're still talking about Brexit um, and we're still not sure what's going to happen. And it's really interesting to see it, even how things in Northern Ireland have progressed. I mean, things have gotten you know, the spotlight has been shined in Northern Ireland for both positive and negative reasons. Uh, positive being the unbelievable success of Derry Girls and yeah. how that's shined an unbelievable light and a positive light in Northern Ireland where normally it doesn't get a light for anything except something negative. And it's 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 just been such a, a groundbreaking show. And then also the really tragic killing of uh, Lira McKee um, just a couple of weeks ago um, in Northern Ireland in Derry. And how this has just changed the the I mean this this is the throwback effectively to things that went on, you mm. know before my time. I I was born in nineteen ninety two. I don't really remember terrorism in Northern Ireland. I I remember being a teenager and reading a book where the character in the book was leaving the uh, the twin towers at nine eleven. So the, the premise was they were they were in, caught up in that. And I remember the person the character in their head saying. Terrorism is something that happens in Northern Ireland. And that was the first time as a teenager that I was like, wait, terrorism? Hap- I thought we just had troubles. And
3: yeah. that was
1: my interaction with it because I don't remember it. So it's just so bizarre to be back there and to be back having that discussion about the validity of Good Friday and all of that. And it's just such a bizarre place to be in.
0: It really is. And it's just it is something tragic, particularly when you think someone like Lyra who who... Was such a promising and talented writer was was listed in the, in the thirty under thirty just last year, and this this is something that should have been as a memory of her childhood. The idea that say she would have been a small child when the Good Friday Agreement was signed, and just even in, in that scene in, in the end of Jerry Girls, and I remember, um, I remember when when. Bill Clinton came to to Northern Ireland and was, was speaking, and the idea that, that this was finally going to change, and the amount of progress has been made since then. the people, um, Derry Girls is very special to me because the main character is called Aaron, and grew up in Northern Ireland in the 90s. Uh, my wife is called Aaron, grew up in Northern Ireland in the 90s. And, I mean, it's great that people much younger than us get so much out of it because they relate to how teenagers are. People my age think this is exactly what, you know, my adolescence was like. And just the, the amount of things that we're going through, and that that last scene, just talking about how it's a, 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 a young, confident city with so much going on, yeah. and there's there's really like um, politics. I mean, it's it's something we shouldn't it sh- that shouldn't be that interesting. It shouldn't be that engaging. It certainly yeah. should never. We like to think in a well run in a country that's where things are are going right. It should never be something worth killing for or dying for. And these things shouldn't even actually come up. Exactly. This is, it and should it's, be something a niche interest for boring people
1: and it's so suddenly your identity and who you are becomes central to it and your identity in terms of of where you your allegiance is beyond brexit you know are you remain are you leave and then in northern ireland you know where do you identify do you are you unionist or republican suddenly becomes so central and it's always been you know it's always been there but but probably less so um and it's just, it's become weaponized for so long and it's becoming weaponized again. And it's just so frightening to see that. And then you see this discussion of of United Ireland, which for the first time feels like it might, it's not a pipe dream anymore. It is something that does make a lot of sense. Um, and so, you know, th- these these discussions are being had again and this, this idea of, I, but I, something I thought that Naomi said that was really interesting was this group of people that are now suddenly... They're not Irish or they're not English or, you know, British. They're Northern Irish. They're this group in the middle that I just think is so interesting that that group has developed. And, you know, what are what are their hopes for it? And I know, you know, Naomi's quoted statistics, but um, it's really interesting to see that development. Whereas, I don't know, 30 years ago, less than 30 years ago in Northern Ireland, had you asked people, I'd imagine that 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 group would have been a lot smaller.
0: It would. And it's a it's a funny one. I know Gary Lightbody from Snow Patrol gets a lot of slaggings. And because yeah. um, when he plays in Scotland, he says, yeah, it's great to be back for the home for the home team. You know, this because obviously they formed in Edinburgh. Snow Patrol formed in Edinburgh, gets slaggings in when he's in London. He says, it's great to be back home in London, He's in, <laughs> in Dublin. It's like, yeah, the Ireland, the home crowd and he's in Belfast. Yes, this is the home crowd. <laughs> and Technically, they're all slightly true. Yeah. And they're all but at the same time it's a um, it's a comp he didn't um it's a complicated having have an identity where you were grow up in a in middle class Belfast, they go to uh, Campbell College, I think it was, and then go to university in Edinburgh, work work in in the in the London music scene and have some relationship with Dublin. You probably do feel partial identity with all those places yeah exactly and he was being interviewed by Mark Carruthers a while back and he was asked about you know the United Ireland and he just wants to sing songs about chasing cars (laughs) and chocolate and he said well maybe before United Ireland we could have a United Northern Ireland
1: yeah and I think that's probably the main that's so lovely like that's probably the main thing that I think is important like I mean, secession isn't new. There's, I mean, we have this idea that borders are static, and we've always been the way we've always been. But that's not the case at all. I mean, Kosovo is only a state since 1999. That's the most. Uh, South Sudan um, is is a pretty recent state. You know, borders change constantly. Um, so, it isn't? You know, there's all of these issues around. You know, administration. What would you do if if Northern Ireland became part of of, of the Republic of Ireland? But it's not necessarily, those those hurdles can be jumped. But like you said, and like Gary Lightbody is saying, mm-hmm. the bigger question is, are you going to unite the people first? And how do you do that? How do you bring back, I mean, there's a fracture that's happened. And I mean, that fracture is arguably not being helped by the politics that um are currently representing Northern Ireland. Um, And a lot of things need to be done in terms of rights in Northern Ireland. People are being left behind again by, and I include ourselves in that as well, because we're not doing, I mean, I know, okay, We don't have legislative power over Northern Ireland, but we still have a vested interest in the people of Northern Ireland. And yet again, people in the Republic of Ireland have forgotten Northern Ireland and people in mainland Britain have forgotten Northern Ireland. And it's terribly sad. Um, I mean, these are the people who will suffer most from Brexit.
0: This is obviously a topic that will probably pop up again. We are going to have some more and more Northern Irish voices. Um, it's um, it's something we've been consistently trying to do. I've been con- constantly trying to get my wife on the show. She <laughs> <laughs> won't. She's too shy. But we know that the, the podcast and the Twitter accounts have a substantial Northern Irish following from a political and social spectrum. This is something that we will we'll be continuing to go on. But the, I guess the most important thing is that um, you know, there's no, there's no one most important thing. Is if something like this does come on the agenda that it's not that it's not gonna be necessarily triumphant or smug. Yeah. But so much as we actually get to talk about if we were going to start the Republic all over again without making those mistakes, what will we do different? Yeah. Have those kinds of conversations and maybe talk about what a second republic might actually look like. Yeah. Before we invent it, let's imagine it. On that final note, I'm gonna finish with this last thought.
3: Human beings suffer. They torture one another. They get hurt and get hard. No poem or play or song can fully right a wrong inflicted and endured. History says, don't hope on this side of the grave. But then once in a lifetime, the longed for tidal wave of justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. So hope for a great sea change on the far side of revenge. Believe that a farther shore is reachable from here. Believe in miracles and cures and healing wells. Call miracles self-healing, the utter self-revealing double-take of feeling. If there's fire on the mountain and lightning and storm and a God speaks from the sky, that means someone is hearing the outcry and the birth cry of new life at its term. It means once in a lifetime, that justice can rise up and hope and history reign
0: motherfucker well, comes out on friday's on the headstuff podcast network so be sure to subscribe you can find us on iTunes, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts this has been a production of the headstuff podcast network
3: and did you have something to say before no, you no sorry um, i
1: didn't I, I zoned out there so.